Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay LaValle. Welcome to Rush Hour, the congestion of human trafficking in America. In this podcast, we will address the problem that is human trafficking, not only to spread awareness, but to share information that will help keep you and your community safe. Rush Hour is brought to you by The Wolf Group, powered by eTactics. Today we're joined by Young B. Dale, the CEO and anti-trafficking consultant of Dale Consulting. Thank you so much for joining us today, Young B. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. So Young B, I'll just kind of jump right in. You've been working in the field of anti-trafficking awareness for many years. Could you give us a quick history of the work you've been doing in the anti-trafficking field and maybe tell us a little bit about how you first got involved? I started getting involved in 2005. I actually started as an advocate in a national organization, actually, I would say international nonprofit abroad. And back then we were the UN and the, the State Department were still trying to raise awareness. Okay, so what is human trafficking? So prior to their effort really Nobody knew what human trafficking was, and that included me. But in the meantime, um, I I actually joined a human rights organization and I was more interested in, you know, minority or racism in, you know, homogenous countries like South Korea or China or Japan and whatnot. And um, because I was the only one who spoke English and, and we were getting a lot of Filipino sex trafficking victims at the time. And I kept getting put in with uh, sex trafficking victims from Philippines. So that was my first encounter experience from human trafficking. And I attended a summit, sort of like a training by IOM, International um, Organization for Migrants. That's part of the UN function. They're very active when it comes. They're active here, but they're more so in abroad. Uh, where not all government was ready to receive um, anti-trafficking effort or engage in anti-trafficking field. So really, that's how I started my career. That's incredible. I think it's an interesting story. When I ask anyone how they got into it, it's it's interesting to hear all of the different perspectives and really that no one knew what human trafficking was, right? Yeah. And, and then kind of fell head first into it. And and so that's very fascinating. Thank you so much for the work that you've been doing. It's it's incredible. You are the founder and CEO of Dale Consulting. What kind of services does Dale Consulting offer and how did you get into that? So I guess like the, how I got into this, um, started a Dale Consulting really goes back to, again, my work in South Korea and nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And at the time I wasn't really interested in continuing on the anti-trafficking effort. And then I you know, left my job and then I ended up attending grad school. And then my professor was interested in sex trafficking and I was more interested in banking, finance or money laundering she was kind of like drawing a bone so say hey if you help me publish this contribute to a chapter and whatever that related to trafficking then you know i'll put your name on it it'll be really good for you whatever so she kind of threw me in the book so back in the days and that was in 2006 2006 2007 so we weren't making a connection between money laundering or other organized criminal activities with the cause like human trafficking, they never thought that this was an issue of organized crime, issue of tax evasion or financial crime and fraud and visa fraud and whatnot. Then I wanted to figure out the trends of a money laundering issue. So um, that was 
really my next work. And then after that, I work as a journalist for um, Under Washington Times. And at the time, nobody really was writing about trafficking. They're more focused on, you know, human rights issues in general. But I was interested. From then on, I realized because I speak both languages and I understand the multicultural issues. I met a lot of people, including like three different experts that are in the field who are all uh, were the part of TVPA in 2000. And they've been doing this work way before TVPA was implemented. I was telling them like what I'm noticing it on newspapers as opposed to what's being reported in the US and English. Yeah, I just told them like, there's a gap between these two. Like, you know, I see one thing on the ground, these Korean journalists are reporting X, Y, and Z, but these English journalists who are informed by the nonprofits are saying A, B, C, D, E. So I guess I don't know what that is, right? And then the experts, mm. all of them are saying, why do you know about this? I, I mean, like you're the experts, you didn't know what I knew that um, I guess I knew something that you don't know, right? So, right. so I kind of took it as a mission for me to, um, um, and I'm, I'm also Christian, so I kind of took it as a mission for me to bridge the gap between, okay, what is known to American culture and the, you know, people who speak the language as opposed to what is actually going on in the black market mm-hmm. who are, um, you know, main players are really um, foreigners and they don't think like us, they don't think like Americans, they don't think like law-abiding citizens. So I just kind of took it as a mission. And then my first paper came out, um, the Beyond Massage Follower, that was focused on Korean trafficking issues in the United States. And then um, as I was doing the research, I found out there are clinicals of other criminals that are facilitating profiting more than the actual brothels sometimes mm-hmm. and um, the brothel owners sometimes. So the second paper was the money laundering and money laundering in the United States. And that was actually focused on the different methods, criminal tactics that they use, depending on where the criminals from, like whether they're from China, Korea, or one of those Hispanic countries, as opposed to the U.S. citizen criminals, they all use different tactics, not because they're any smarter than you or me, because they just think differently, they mm-hmm. act differently. So I wanted to focus on that as during the time that is still to this day, we don't have a whole lot of conviction of trafficking activity, as opposed to let me put it this way. We have a lot of conviction when it comes to domestic minor sex trafficking organization, like, you know, straight up pimps. But we don't have a whole lot of conviction when it comes to traffickers from abroad. So that was more of my mission is to uncover their activities. So because of my background at studies, I have been approached by different law enforcement, uh, including the federal law enforcement. Um, and that's been really my focus. And now I serve as an expert witness. So Youngby, what are the major players where it, when international trafficking is involved? I know there are different countries that play ma- different roles. Um, so are there certain countries that play a larger role in international trafficking? And how is that connected within the United States? Like So within the, the United States, obviously, a lot of people are aware of massage parlors, Asian mm-hmm. massage parlors, or they want to say illicit massage parlors for the vast majority of the Illicit massage parlors are operated by Chinese, Korean, Korean Chinese, and some Thai and Vietnamese and some um, U.S. Um, citizens. And I also have seen the Russian and um, Hispanic population operating massage parlors. But vast majority of them are Chinese, 
Taiwanese and Korean. I don't think that Yakuza, Japanese guys, criminals are directly involved, but I definitely see on investor levels, um, some of the names are popped up, are a Japanese name. Initially, maybe back in the day, 10 or 20 years ago, Japanese uh, took over a lot of, you know, sex industry in, uh, and then sex tourism industry in California, definitely Hawaii, Guam. But because we cracked down at the time, it's not as obvious, but that's not to say they don't exist. We just don't know if they are or or where they are and how much they're involved. So those are more of like a sophisticated criminal organization. Chinese tried to, are the um, Chinese organized crimes that are connected to CCP, Chinese Communist Party. So that in China, they don't really crack down on migrant workers or crack down, not migrant workers, um, smuggling or any sort of like um, illicit migration. They took up all this money at the expense of exploitation of labor and sex trafficking victims. And they're profiting off of these uh, victims exploitation and they're using it to enrich themselves as communist government so i do think that the major player at this point in at least in the asian market are chinese and korean when it comes to hispanic there are two different models that are that i'm aware of Tanasingo and cantinas the Tanasingo model is based on mexico but the victims are from all of the um, hispanic countries so those are the famous models that are have been heavily utilized in um, New York and the East Coast, mm. the United States. In the U.S., we kind of have a basic idea of how victims are being coerced and how they're being tied in through, you know, the Internet or through different avenues. But when people are brought over to the United States from other countries, I mean, that seems very intricate. How are they finding these individuals and what's the process for that? So it's like it's complicated. So the sex trafficking or brothel operation or prostitution itself is very highly tied to other illicit activity operated by the serious organized criminals. And we have been advocating that the whole migration process is a very, you know, this is this economic movement. You shouldn't be cracked down on this migration movement. And this is human rights issue and whatnot. By not cracking down these people, uh, we are actually harming the victims them not helping the victims because we're not doing any studies we're not going after the ultimate profiteer who are very closely tied to again ccp chinese communist party the leadership that are very highly organized and they have been very enriched you know like closely tied to ccp are not very well known so to speak they're disguising themselves behind the scene and they're hiring these individual migrant workers through the word of mouth and they're the ones who are um, recruiting these migrant um, women and men in in rural China um, depending on where they're from and you know I can give you an example so this one lady in Fujian China in the back in the day in the 90s early 2000s we were getting a lot of migrant workers from Fujian China because Fujian China is one of the poorest um, part in China so depending on which region that you enter the China has different level of development and different level of infrastructure so to speak but Fujian China is not as developed as what you see in Beijing or Hong Kong and mm -hmm. Shanghai whatnot the major city so these migrants from Fujian China, Fujian China have been recruited in a way that they're through the water mouth it, she will just speak you know, like talk to her friend and say, hey, I heard that people who travel abroad, they, they make a lot of money. And then she said, well, that sounds 
Interesting. That, that I'm, I'm interested. That's all she said. And out of blue, somebody knock on the door and say, hey, I heard that you're interested. So that like these, these we call them uh, the brokers, recruiter, whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, but because the Fujian China is a very close knit community, they all know each other. Same mm -hmm. thing with uh, Guangzhou, uh, same thing with any region that the migrant workers that came from, that all communities are very close knit China, they all know each other. So then that then she moved with a broker, she moved to Beijing to get the fraudulent visa. Now the serious criminal activity come are is coming from the fraudulent visa brokers on the top of many other facilities. So these operators are technically uh, say that, you know, they're not traffickers, but ultimately they're the ones who was making the most amount of money off right. of right so the facilitators i call them facilitators so mm -hmm. the, essentially you don't think of a visa fraud and money laundering and tax evasion or illicit gambling when you think of traffic you're thinking that uh you know trafficker is the brothel owner and um mm -hmm. there's victims right so i think i will say that the ultimate profiteer will be chinese government especially communism party and those serious organized crimes like criminals like yakuza chinese china at this point it's fascinating that you thought you wanted to work on fraud and, and money and, and banks and you're kind of still ended up in that, but within yeah. the, in the trafficking field. So it seems to me like you're right where you should be because you have an understanding of that probably more so than anybody. And, and I don't know that everybody's focusing on that. And yeah, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people about this topic who are, you know, Bill, obviously, who we started the podcast with and who we partner with, but, you know, other individuals who are very high up in, in this, this world of anti-trafficking. And, and that's not always something that, that is discussed. And, and I think the cost of it for the American people isn't always discussed, but it, it there is a cost associated with it for everyone. So I think it's, it's really interesting that, that that's where you're kind of wanted to head with your career and, and it ended up there anyway, which I think is, is awesome that you are in that role because I think it's where you need to be and where, you know, you're best serving others. So that's great. I think a lot of people have a concept of what trafficking looks like, even if it's a little skewed because of movies we've watched or, or whatever. But I don't think that the illicit massage or labor trafficking, I don't think that that is something that normal everyday people have any basic understanding of. So so they go, I mean, I've, I've kind of heard it, this story from you and from others, but they go to a village, they find these girls, they promise them a better life in the United States. Or, or men or boys or whatever, but they bring them over to the United States to work, right? And so correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe you can expand on it, but but they have to pay these people back, right? And so so I think it maybe it was even you that, that explained to me that when you go to court, they they say, well, I'm how much are you making off of the services that you're providing in these in these massage parlors? And they say, well, I'm making 70%. And the, the the massage parlor owner makes 30%. Well, that looks like a good, normal, everyday split, right? But if you break it down, they owe them for bottled water, for housing, for shelter, for food, for whatever. And what does that look like? So this is a problem with America. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I get it. <laughs> you know, like, I think that victim, let me go back to victim-centered approach. So we've been mm -hmm. focusing on victim-centered approach. That has mm -hmm. worked when it comes to domestic minor sex trafficking mm -hmm. cases, right? You assist the victim, victim knows um, the pimp, and victim knows 
pretty much everybody that are involved the perpetrator, right? Same mm -hmm. thing with the domestic violence cases. I don't know if they're using victim center approach, but you know, there's only one husband, a wife, and wife, you know, wives are victims mm -hmm. and then whatnot, right? Yeah, so but you catch him and you stop it. Yeah, done, right? Yeah. So, done, yeah. right? And um, but that's not how it works in the organized criminal activities in um the in in the Korean or even Chinese model. So mm -hmm. we don't as a nation, we do not know as much as we should about perpetrator because we kind of took the victim center approach in a mm -hmm. way that okay, we're gonna interview the survivor, we're gonna study the survivor, and you know, we're gonna you know talk about but for the most part survivors don't know who the real perpetrators and th these people these agent organized criminals that i've been telling you these people have been doing this way longer than than 2005 when you got into it right, right yeah, right. It's yeah. Way, you know yeah. It, that, that goes way you know way go back that right know, they know how to get around so mm -hmm. i don't think we understand this uh, especially the deception model so the reason why i know the seven to three is really their deception technique is because i read on the korean government report that they specifically study the organized criminals um that are um in in prison and they said that's those basically a tactic to stay under the radar of the law enforcement mm -hmm. had we focus on the perpetrators and offender focus um i don't know tactics to go after these traffickers i think that we would have had much better understanding of like what are the deception tactics how does it play out in the asian market right so i think that um because we have such a poor understanding of loan sharking mechanism debt bondage mechanism i think that um we're sort of stuck where we are in a sense yeah yeah no it's it's fascinating because it's not something that you would you would think and i and i think the point is that these individuals are never able to get under that or over that bondage that debt bondage because they're always tacking on different things like i said just a bottle of water or whatever they're they're always adding to the to what they owe that person. Can you speak to any of that? Their mm -hmm. reality is not the reality of Asian American, not the reality, of, certainly not the reality of what these Americans are. So mm -hmm. they may say they want to engage in these activities, but they don't know any better. They think that, and they also have, especially if the victims are from Chinese government, uh, the because they're from, they're, they're already have the trauma of like communism. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're, you know, very suspicious of a lot of things and they don't know what they deserve. They're already, they're so used to being in under the oppression. So for right. them, some of them will say, this is way better than, right? Than being a victim of trafficking with. will be way better than, right? Not mm -hmm. all, but definitely way better than um, the lives that they have back in China under Chinese government. Now, is that, how they're supposed to be treated no absolutely not you know there mm -hmm. are same individuals just like you and i so i think it's our job to elevate elevate their right just because they say they want to do this they're happy and whatnot mm -hmm. you know that doesn't mean that your definition of choice and happiness freedom is not the same thing as their definition of choice and freedom and the you know life and prosperity and whatnot so i think that that's something that you know people need to remember when they say but these women are happy these these women mm -hmm. do this it's their choice whatnot but you need to understand the context of the reality that's fascinating and i thank you for saying that because that's not 
that's not something I think I had even considered that what they're coming from is so awful that this may be a minute step up, but it doesn't mean it's right. It's still right. very awful. But to them, it, it may be better than what it was just to have a roof over their head or you right, know, whatever. Right, right, so, right. you know, we have to figure out a way to change the mindsets of the people that pay for this stuff, right? When you are talking about, when you're talking about these, you talk about the sex buyers, right? When they right. go into these brothels, I don't think their first thing is that, oh, I don't want to engage in this trafficking victims, you know, whatever. Like, at least based on the studies I've seen, they know what they're engaging themselves into. Like, mm. it's not like, you know, if they knew that these are victims and they will stop, maybe one or two, three individuals out of 10, most buyers are already aware of Mm -hmm. what's going on and they'll still engage you know i can't speak a whole lot about the buyers uh, market uh, you know mentality of the buyers because that's not my uh, focus of expertise so i mean hopefully that'll change their mindset but i just think that at the end of the day it's their you know volition not to be engaged in terms of training what's your opinion on what professionals need to be trained in human trafficking awareness specific to the illicit massage or to labor trafficking market. I mean, who should be trained in that area? I think it, it differs a little bit when, when the international side is brought into the domestic trafficking. So who on the international side do you feel professionally needs to be trained? Everybody needs to be trained and I'll tell you why. And I see a lot of people going around their experts in this field. I try not to call myself expert unless it's an expert witness, right? Then mm -hmm. you. I have no choice, right? Mm -hmm. They go out and say they're experts. And I know this is a tall order and case in point, U.S. attorneys, right? Um, or, you know, former state attorneys or um, these people who are supposed to know better. Again, we go back to, as a nation, we have not done much of homework when it comes to figuring out this perpetuated mm -hmm. tactics. So when I go into these training, right? Or when I hear these people talking, wait, you know, and they talk about like, oh, um, you know, like they want to give a training on the illicit massage parlors and whatnot. A few years ago, I've seen this, uh, one of the major organizations giving out the training on illicit massage parlor and, and realize that they have all the right evidence, but the way they're interpreting the data is way off of what's actually going on. And mm -hmm. again, I know this is tall order because the person who's training, right, that person who's training, some of them are Asian Americans, others are just Americans. They have a good intention, but I think it's hard to expect everyone to understand the reality without really looking into the situation from the traffickers' perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think at this point, it's disheartening to watch these trainings going on, but um, in reality, I don't think they're hitting the target uh, based on my conversation with traffickers. The way traffickers look at the market is very different from the way nonprofit look at the market mm -hmm. and the way law-abiding citizen will assume about certain things that you know way different from criminals so i would love to see the training that are revamped on multiple perspective and i also would love to see doj stepping up in terms of focus on the you know studies on the um offenders data and I would love to see more people, you know, especially if prosecutors are working with the expert witness or country expert and in, um, in regards to how to interpret the um, evidence from 
the uh, traffickers perspective. You mentioned that when we spoke before, and I thought that was really fascinating, that oftentimes we do focus on survivor-led training, and I think that is necessary, but to, that survivors oftentimes don't know how the whole criminal enterprise of this whole situation works. I think you mentioned that with illicit massage parlors, that there's even sometimes a tie-in with with gro Asian grocery stores, right? And, and that they're laundering money through other nail salons or other avenues that you wouldn't even necessarily know that they're tied together. And if you were a survivor of that, you would have no clue of, of what that whole enterprise looked like. And I think that that's a great point that if, if we're trying to stop trafficking or minimize trafficking, that we have to really begin to understand what it looks like from the mind of a trafficker or from those actual criminals and not just from what it looks like from a survivor perspective, which yeah. again are valid, but they're not always going to be the best person um, to understand to, the operational yeah. tactic that will be the yeah. ultimate perpetrator. Yeah. So let me add a little more because this is very concerning in terms of like anti-trafficking movement. You know, I just worked on a case and I also know some other case, um, multiple cases have been happened in a way that now the traffickers and um, the sex buyers filing a lawsuit against our officer and the government officials are supposed, we should be protecting these people, right? enforcing them or enforcing the law, primarily because their intel, their training is based on 20, 30 years old data. So let me give you an example to you. People are going around and saying, and these are the same people who claim that I'm the expert, right? They say all kinds of stuff on LinkedIn or whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. So people are going out and say uh, passport confiscation is the essential evidence of trafficking activities, right? Prior to maybe 2000, where we started cracking down sex trafficking um, under TVPA, that would have been the case long time ago right mm -hmm. now because the law changed that traffickers have moved on from the old tactics but mm -hmm. still to this day these law enforcement officers are being trained based on the old data because they're being trained on the old data they're not getting the right evidence and they're basically making a lot of assumptions not to make a lot of assumption based on certain you know evidence that are presented before the court. Now, mm -hmm. what gets them wrong is that when the defense attorney or the traffickers hear these data, hear the assumption, obviously, that's not what they're doing at this point as of 2022. They're mm -hmm. going to go back to the law enforcement officer or whoever the officer who report the case based on their training. And now they're suing these people because they're very audacious. These traffickers yeah. are audacious. So we, I think it's important that as much as that, you know, it sounds like a political correctness to say that, um, you know, cultural sensitivity is important, cultural competency is important. We're talking about this cultural humility, whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's not just a matter of political correctness. This is the real issue. We're losing the battle against traffickers and sex buyers and, you know, whatnot, because we're not training the law enforcement with the accurate information. Mm -hmm. So this mm -hmm. goes back to my point that it's important for DOJ or any sort of any authority who's supposed to be studying this information correctly and um, disseminate that the information to the right authority at the right positions. That is fascinating. And, and it makes me think of technology, right? It's like technology changes. You buy a cell phone and it's obsolete a week later. So, and I think much of human trafficking has gone to technology. So if it's evolving, then clearly trafficking will evolve or, and there, there seem to always be 
10 steps in front of us. So I think that that makes a lot of sense that if we're working off old data, then, but it's amazing that they'll turn the tide and sue the police officer or sue the, I'll tell you, that's crazy. I'll tell you one more example. Whenever the attorneys come to me, they come to the information, just limited information that, that they found. Almost always they're based on very trafficking 101, that old data information, right? So I'm having to go out and find more information to accurately describe the entire organization. For instance, attorneys, when they often come to me for expert witness um, services, they come to me with the plain old basic data. The evidence is maybe like one person of what they're saying. So most of the their assumption is based on you know, these old data, right? The mm -hmm. training, oh, if there's a passport mm -hmm. confiscation, that's the sign. If the woman is living in the facility, that's the sign. If it's open, you know, from, you know, nine to 10 or, you know, PM, then that's not sign. So those are old information that happened like in the nineties, maybe mm -hmm. early 2000, right? They don't do that in the trafficking market anymore. The reality is vastly different from how they're being told. So when the attorneys come to me with the information, they come to me with the information with what they know, with a little bit of data that they have, and then they're making mm. a whole lot of assumptions. This is why I think the attorneys are losing the battle against traffickers, mm. right? A lot of times I kind of see like people making up their own stories, uh, putting words in victim's mouth, you know, for instance, that, you know, if I was encountering the Filipino victim, I don't speak the language. I don't understand what she's saying. I don't mm -hmm. know where she's coming from. I don't have a cultural insight. Right. Mm -hmm. At that point, I try not to assume anything. I try to leave it as it is, but then I go find the other data to show the here's how structure works because this fits the mold of Yakuza, this fits the mold of um, Hispanic organization, this fits the mold of Chinese Oisha. I can say that, but I try not to put words into victim's mouth or words mm -hmm. into, you know, or attribute criminal intel based on certain evidence that maybe used 20, 30 years ago, but not anymore. Right? right. So I think this is important that we understand the reality of the situation as opposed to putting words. Uh, based on our assumption, and especially the Western assumption on the foreign trafficking issues. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That yeah, that's that's fascinating and something I I had never considered or heard of. So thank you, Youngby. Do you think professionals you encounter today? I mean, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but do you do you feel like that they're adequately trained? Depending on the professionals. So right. are we talking about the law enforcement? Are you talking about um, financial institution? Like depending I mean, on in general, right? I mean, and I think it, I think you're right. I think it depends on which professional profession you're discussing that I, I mean, I spoke with a woman who works for JP Morgan Chase the other day and she said JP Morgan Chase actually has um, human trafficking awareness training. Again, just because they have training doesn't necessarily, I don't know anything about their training, but just because someone says that they have training, it doesn't necessarily mean it's up to par. It could be based on, like you mentioned, it could be based on really old data or it could be just to check a box and say we're trained, but um, but I did think that was at least a step in the right direction that they're considering it. So I think that for the most part, like that, you know, there are a lot of states that require law enforcement training. Mm -hmm. But if you actually sit through the training, and this is I haven't been to their training, so I can't really say. But based on what the law enforcement are telling me is that this does not help them investigate mm -hmm. any cases. Um, same thing with the financial institution, right? Like, you know, they go to this big, you know, summit or conference spending thousands of thousands of dollars, and then they go and sit through the training and they hear, you know, survivors speaking and 
it's all good, but then they, you know, they appreciate the survivors coming out and, you know, talk about a lot of things, but like that, it, that doesn't translate into their technical issues with, okay, mm-hmm. so how does that translate to transaction record that mm-hmm. we need to actually catch the predator? So I think that in a sense of, yes, comparing to 20, 30 years ago, yes, we do have good training, especially domestic, I will say this, the domestic minus sex trafficking cases, I think we definitely have been very successful, very successful compared to what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Now, back in the days, like the the reason why we was successful is we actually did the study. We actually know where the what child trafficking looks like in the United mm-hmm. States. We done the study and the challenges, we done the study with Cantinas, the um the Hispanic bar. We done the study and um uh the Asian massage followers or Asian, you know, like not other brothels, but they from definitely massage followers and you know what now, but we have not done the study Eastern European with the Eastern European population. So mm. when when we look at these criminal tactics, except for the just general um studies, they're Again, I think that the challenge is with the domestic minus sex trafficking, there's no challenge in terms of that cultural barrier or assumptions that are involved, right? The domestic minus sex trafficking victims, they're all Americans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or pimps, they're all Americans. So there's no, not much of like assumption that needs to be put mm-hmm. and, you know, filter out. When it comes to foreign trafficking organization, however, I think that the challenge is that uh, most of us in the anti-trafficking uh, field are, um, don't have foreign background. So people like right. me are not everyday examples, but mm-hmm. also the reason why I know what I know is because I spoke to the criminals. Just because I have a cultural competency doesn't mean that I knew how to launder right. the money. I knew how to write. Like, so y- you, you need language and cultural competency, but mm-hmm. you also need the um, intel by you know, engaging with the illicit um, individuals. So I think that's the biggest um, challenge that we have at this point yeah. in terms of like, you know, training there that they're pushing out and then um, the benefits that we're reaping or not reaping from. If this resonates with someone listening to our discussion today and they think they might be in a harmful situation, what advice would you give to them? Well, that's a hard question because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just because I know the trafficking tactic, it doesn't mean that I'm in a position to right. advise survivors, right. I don't think. Um, and I'm also not a psychologist, so I don't right. know if I can advise um, survivors. But I, you know, if anything, that the only thing I can speak to is those who are already willing to want to do something about it, and they're in the position of influence to do something about it, and I'm asking them to uh, step up. As I was studying the intelligence community in the United States, and I think a lot of them not just it's not just a trafficking issue just like when you know when it comes to national you know national security issue in the past the reason why we fail from wrong intel is a we assume a lot of things from the western mindset using common sense so you have this much of evidence and you come up with 90 percent of assumption and thinking Mm -hmm. that okay that's the right target and that became more like a sacred national security uh, level top secret right and mm-hmm. then we ended up wasting a lot of resources we ended up you know losing a lot of you know innocent civilians lives abroad and then that includes me i think that we need to understand that we don't know it all right so when 
just because you went to Harvard, I didn't go to Harvard or Yale, but I, you know, people who went to Harvard or Yale, all this like prestigious school, they have been very successful in this country. That doesn't mean that they understand the mindset of the traffickers. If you don't understand the mindset of a trafficker, then chances are you're going to get it wrong and you have been wrong. And mm -hmm. I think it's the humility to understand that, okay, so I thought this may be the right thing to do in your own mind, right? And your own culture, but that doesn't mean that that is how the trafficker is going to act. So I think it's a hum I think it's like we all need a humility to recognize that, okay, we don't know it all. So let's figure it out, whatever it is. It might sound bad, it might sound, you know, political and crack or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But solution has to come from somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess that's my biggest um plea to the anti-trafficking professionals, whether they're policymakers, whether they're um you know, law enforcement or the nonprofits in general. I think that's an excellent point. Um, is is this sense of humility? And I think I think we're all we're all in that same place in anything in life, right? We we all have. I always say we only can see past our or we can't always see past our own front porch, right? We if we live in Chicago, that our own front porch is a little larger. But if we're from a small town, that it's only a small town view, right? So, but I think that that's true. And and I think it's fascinating when I and I maybe have said this to you before, but when I talk to victim advocate groups, you know, they have their own front porch where, you know, the things that they see, um, Bill Wolf comes from the DOJ and FBI and and being in the gang task force and he has his own view, but, but I think it's somehow bringing all of those viewpoints together to create a, a broader view, um, realizing that that is just all we, that is our only, our only view is where we're standing in our own shoes. But again, I think the point that you have so eloquently stated is that that we have to have a better understanding of these the actual criminals involved from their standpoint and do more in-depth studies on where they come from and in order to start breaking it this this down into smaller more digestible pieces and actually uh changing it so yeah so if i can add one more thing is that uh, i think that you know working in dc i used to work at dc and I know that, you know, but, you know, agencies general, U.S. agencies in general, um, doesn't consider trafficking as an important issue. Trafficking is really not the top of their agenda, but what they're not understanding, unless, unlike domestic minor sex trafficking, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying in a way like, you know, domestic minor sex trafficking is not important, but when it comes to serious criminals, like, you know, um, definitely with, I don't know about like Hispanic organization, but definitely with the Asian organized criminals who are behind um, tracking trafficking activities who are connected to traffickers or you know smuggling smuggling women or men for trafficking and then helping the you know facilitating money laundering issue and whatnot. These actually are the ones who are working with the North Korean. These are the ones who are actually affecting our national security issues. So mm -hmm. um, as about as of 2020 or 2022, I remember this, the uh, top general in Pentagon was saying our uh, the four security issues involved North Korea, Iran, Russia, and China. So China and North Korea both work closely with these, you know, serious criminals like um, Yakuza's and um, Chinese China. They both profit off of um, brothel operations one way or the other whether it's facilitating it, whether it's as an investor, or whether it's um, as a loan shark and whatnot. So I think that we need to sort of step up and recognize that trafficking is not, you know, it's not a mind, 
minor issue. This is mm -hmm. an important issue at the end of the day affecting our nation. Yeah, I, th I think that that's, and we've maybe mentioned it in the past, but I think that that's like the big picture. That's where, you know, the cost of what it actually is. It's not just how much money is being exchanged for sex, right? Or how much money is being exchanged for whatever. It's it's the bigger picture of that, the actual criminal enterprise. And, and the, again, it doesn't get to $150.2 billion industry with just exchanging sex for money. There's so much more that's involved in that. Um, and that if we started, I agree, if we started to take it more seriously, um, that a lot of other criminal activities would would be diminished because of it. Um, I think I mentioned it on a podcast prior too, but the guy that that did the mass shooting in Vegas, you know, shot 500 people at a country concert, paid for sex, you know? So even, even if that, if they would have caught that man who was paying for sex repeatedly in that hotel, however many times months and or years in advance he wouldn't have shot 500 people and that's that's just one instance this is like you know chinese government and korean government and all of that but but again if they if they focused in on the on the human trafficking side of it i i agree i think it would cause a you know a domino effect to you know take out a lot more criminal enterprises um mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's obviously a lot of money and higher ups involved in that in some way, shape or form. But but yeah, that's a great point. Um, Youngby, before we let you go, do you have a website or social media that you would like to share for listeners? I have a LinkedIn page and Dell Consulting and I have my personal LinkedIn page. And I also if you're an attorney, um, I also have a Juris Pro um, profile. And then um, I do have a website on dale-consulting.com. And it's d-a-l-e-consulting.com. I always like to ask our guests, could you please leave us with wisdom or advice that you would like to share with our listeners, maybe just for folks on Main Street, as I like to call them, how we could prevent human trafficking just from an everyday person? I think that we need to abandon all the lies. I think that we need to strive to find the truth instead of political correctness you know I, I you know it works for americans but for other foreign organizations because we refuse to look at it from their perspective because we refuse to hear what we don't want to hear i think we're stuck a lot of time we fail because we want to stick with what we want to hear as opposed mm -hmm. to what is the truth and reality i think that's a great point young b and i think i think you're right i think as americans we do often try to make things a little bit warm and cuddly in a way i guess instead of or americanize everything i mean i love the united states and, and i'm about as you know passionate about being an american as they come but i but i'm not ignorant to the fact that that we can do better it's larger than trafficking it's larger than than just us it's happening all over and it's it's just a detriment so well thank you so much i really appreciate it um we appreciate you joining us i know people will will really learn from your words and thank you for the work that you do and um i know you're making a huge difference in this world so thank you very much well, and thank you. thank you for thank you for joining us um stay safe